in the name of our Savior Jesus, who became poor so that we might be rich beyond our wildest dreams, dear friends in Christ. How much money do you think if you were the owner of the Chicago White Sox baseball team? You'd like to think you'd make a pretty penny. It is a $1.66 billion franchise. So the seemingly obvious answer would be that if you own that team, you'd be set with a nice tidy pile of profits come the end of October every year. Well, you may be surprised as I was to read this quote by the owner of the Chicago White Sox, Jerry Reinsdorf, who said, I've said this over the years publicly, this is not a lucrative business. My goal every year is to break even with the White Sox. It's an interesting thing to think about, isn't it? I'd hazard a guess to say that most, if not all, the people here, as well as most, if not all, the people out in the world are just trying to break even, just trying to make enough money to cover the cost of operation. It's not only the average people either. It seems just about everyone's goal from the richest to the poorest among us is to break even. But scripture tells us that when it comes to spiritual wealth, there is no breaking even. Sin takes on an insurmountable debt from which there is no coming back by ourselves. But Jesus gives us immeasurable riches through the righteousness that we have in his name. And so we ask the Spirit's blessing this morning as we contemplate these vast treasures Christ has bestowed on us, and we pray. May the words of my mouth and the meditation of our hearts be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 10 says, For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil, for which some have strayed from the faith in their greediness, and pierced themselves through with many sorrows. I think all of us would agree with that, if not from Scripture, then from experience, that money brings all sorts of problems. In fact, I'd be surprised if there's many people out in the world who aren't Christians who would disagree with that statement. Fact is, people will do terrible things for money. Once a man had a friend who inherited a beautifully detailed, hand-painted portrait of his mother after her death, and the man asked his friend, would you sell me that beautiful portrait of your mother for a dollar? No, it's not for sale, he replied, quite agitated. His friend said, okay, well, would you sell it to me for a billion dollars? After some hesitation, the man responded, well, yeah, I suppose I would. And eagerly, his friend said, great. Now, would you sell that portrait to me for two dollars? The friend, now visibly upset, throws his hands in the air and says, I told you it's not for sale. His friend replied, well, actually, we just determined that it is for sale. Now we're just negotiating the price. Everyone has a price, they say. A poll taken in 2017 reported that 6% of Americans would commit murder for a billion dollars. 
We are sinners. And by nature, as sinners, we are takers. We will take what we can, when we can, without so much as a second thought. Have you ever come home from grocery shopping to find an item that you accidentally left in your cart and didn't pay for? Did you take it back or did you shrug it off? A little bit thankful for this unexpected gift. When you're selling something, say a car, are you ensuring that the person you're selling it to is getting a good deal on what you're selling? An honest price for your goods or are you trying to get as much as you can? from whoever is buying. I think if anyone offered us $20,000 for, say, a 1999 Honda Civic, we'd take that offer without a second thought. When the budget gets tight, the support for the church is one of the items that ends up on the chopping block first, isn't it? It's not new. It happened in Israel. The Lord rebuked his people in Malachi chapter 3, verse 8. Will a man rob God? Yet you have robbed me. But you say, in what way have we robbed you? In tithes and offerings. God, as the giver of every good and perfect gift, is our beneficiary. He is the one who provides us with all of our material possessions in his grace so that we can support ourselves and those we're entrusted with, our dependents. Also, so that we can help those in need, support good government, and support the church. But more often than not, when it comes to money, our mantra seems to be that same four-letter mantra of a three-year-old. Mine. There are few who have written so extensively on the dangers of wealth and misplaced notions regarding it as Martin Luther. Now he recognized, as we should also, that wealth is not inherently evil in and of itself. It's a tool to be used. And so he said, wealth is God's gift. One should not discard it. One should thank God for it and use it in a Christian manner. On the other hand, Martin Luther also wrote, wealth is the most insignificant thing on earth, the smallest gift that God can give a man. What is it in comparison with the word of God? Indeed, what is it in comparison even with the gifts of the body, such as beauty? What is it in comparison with the gifts of the soul? And yet people rush after it so madly. It is the material, formal, efficient, and final motive of men, and yet there is nothing good in it. This is why God usually gives riches to coarse fools whom he grants nothing besides. And we see this come to fruition in the account of Zacchaeus for our consideration today. Zacchaeus, whose name ironically means innocent, he had been anything but. He was, in the eyes of his peers, the other Jewish people there, a traitor and a thief. We read in verse 2 that he was a tax collector and that he was rich. He worked under the Roman government and took from his own largely impoverished people for the glory of Rome. He was well compensated for that work, and yet we read in verse 8 that he had dealt dishonestly in that work, taking more than he was supposed to in order to line his own pockets. Perhaps you're thinking to yourself, why would he do that? He was a chief tax collector. No doubt he had plenty of money already. 
But that's not how greed works, is it? There is never enough. There is no breaking even when it comes to greed. There is only more. Investment managers Newberger and Bergman sponsored a survey of people who stood to give or receive inheritances. The people surveyed had at least a median household income of half a million dollars. And almost oxymoronically, 55% of those people whose assets ranged from $1 million to $5 million didn't consider themselves wealthy. And research indicates that most households tend to spend 10% more than their income, no matter their income level, even if it is in the millions. What Zacchaeus probably didn't realize, and what everyone else who chases after material possessions probably also don't realize, is that when they're stockpiling that dragon's hoard of money and goods, all the while they are taking on an insurmountable debt. And I don't mean credit card debt. The sinful love of money accrues spiritual debt. Every action that takes away from others through cunning and thievery and bold-faced robbery may garner temporal gain, but it is sin which always takes on eternal debt and must be paid in the end. And yet there are those who still try to say that you can break even on this as well. One example is taken from the teaching in the Catholic Church that you need to pay for your sins through deeds. If you don't pay what you owe in this life, well, best case scenario, you get sent to purgatory where you spend however long it takes working off what remains of your debt. And it's not just the Catholics either that teach this work righteousness. Many religions in the world do this, where you can earn God's favor by working hard or just by giving a lot of money to the church. And our own sinful hearts tempt us to believe that that is true. But sin takes on insurmountable debt. It cannot be surmounted. There is no paying it back by ourselves. There is no breaking even if we try to handle our sin debt alone. Enter Jesus. Jesus, traveling through Jericho, piqued Zacchaeus' interest. Verse 3 says that he sought to see who Jesus was. No doubt, word had spread of Jesus' miracles and his message to Jericho. A man who had many things but was publicly labeled as an enemy of God for his questionable allegiance to Rome and his dishonest dealings, Zacchaeus was drawn to this stranger who was being identified by some as the son of David. Now it's important to note that Zacchaeus did not come to Jesus. Jesus actually came to Zacchaeus. Some take Zacchaeus' climbing of the sycamore tree as some sort of a noble gesture, but perhaps more so, it reveals his desperation, doesn't it? wasn't a secret to Zacchaeus or to anyone else that he was a sinner. And so Jesus came to be the answer to that problem. He is the only one who was able to clear that debt. Verses 5 and 6, And when Jesus came to the place, he looked up and saw him and said to him, Zacchaeus, make haste and come down, for today I must stay at your house. 
So he made haste and came down and received him joyfully. Jesus came to Zacchaeus, a man who had nothing to offer. Sure, lots of money, but no doubt, Zacchaeus, as many wealthy people realize, they realize the weight that wealth carries, the debt of the soul that greed builds on. Jesus came to Zacchaeus, not only a tax collector, but a chief tax collector. Rich Zacchaeus was poor in spirit, and he knew it. But as Jesus taught in Matthew chapter 5, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Jesus comes to make those who know they have nothing wealthy beyond their wildest dreams, not in earthly riches, which rust or are lost or wasted on bad business ventures or are stolen, but he makes us rich in heavenly things, which do not deteriorate and which cannot be stolen. This is all made possible by Jesus taking on our insurmountable debt of sin and that of the entire world. The unpayable bill, the hole that sinful man can never hope to dig themselves out of, has been conquered by Christ's redeeming work. Many have been speaking of recent months and years about the possibility of canceling student loans. Tens sometimes hundreds of thousands of dollars for some people. Poof, gone. What a shame it is then that people aren't spending more time talking about the far greater debt forgiveness that Jesus has accomplished. It doesn't just disappear, poof, into thin air. Jesus paid that debt with his own precious blood. As powerful a force as the love man has for money, the love of God for mankind is far greater. The Jews complained about Jesus associating with this high-profile sinner and tax collector, as we read in our text, but when they saw it, they all complained, saying, He has gone to be a guest with a man who is a sinner. But Jesus responded, Today salvation has come to this house because he also is a son of Abraham. For the Son of Man has come to seek and to save that which was lost. Has your poverty turned your mind to vain schemes by which you might be able to gain more wealth and thereby, we think, happiness? Has your wealth, like Zacchaeus, become a reminder of just how poor you are in things that really matter? especially those things pertaining to eternal life and salvation of your soul. Christ has the answer. He gives you the only wealth that counts, the eternal wealth of his perfection. And there is no breaking even on this side of things either. Christ does not just give you enough to get back to zero. He pours out his grace exceedingly and abundantly, as David wrote in the 23rd Psalm. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup runs over. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Look at Zacchaeus' response to this unconditional love that Jesus showed him. In verse 8, 
Then Zacchaeus stood and said to the Lord, Look, Lord, I give half of my goods to the poor. And if I have taken anything from anyone by false accusation, I restore fourfold. Imagine if you did that. Cut everything you have, all of your assets, right down the middle, and half of it goes to the poor. And with everything that remains, you make a fourfold restitution for all the people that you have wronged over the years. Those you have swindled, both great and small. You'd be pretty poor, wouldn't you? Just like I would. Now think of Zacchaeus, who made a side business of falsely accusing citizens and collecting those fines and taxes for himself. Probably emptied his bank account. He might have even gone into debt. And then some. But guess what? It didn't matter. Money doesn't really matter. It is a tool that the Lord gives us to use responsibly, but it is never the target. It is the means and never the end. It is an instrument to serve God and our neighbor. It is not our intent or aim. Why? Because we have something far greater. What's the purpose in taking and taking and taking when we have already received so generously and so wondrously in Christ? It's really incredible when you think about it and totally contrasts what the world teaches. In fact, maybe you've seen one of those bumper stickers driving around that says, he who dies with the most toys wins. Get a little bit of a chuckle at that, although you see that it's pretty misplaced. I got an even greater chuckle when I saw one person driving around with a bumper sticker that rebutted that statement, said, he who dies with the most toys is still dead. It's a true statement. But Jesus tells us in John chapter 11, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me, though he may die, he shall live. And whoever lives and believes in me shall never die. May the Spirit grant us also, such a perspective that thinks nothing of money and despises the empty pursuit of it. May he create in us a clean heart which rejoices in Christ alone and in his blood and righteousness, uh, taking that as our most prized possession. And may he move us all in spirit to give generously and kindly, not only as a benefit for others, but also for our own benefit. Because it is when we stop using our own resources as a crutch that we observe God's love and kindness and faithfulness, both in the material and in the eternal. Everyone's just trying to break even. From the poorest person who scrapes by paycheck to paycheck to the wealthiest CEO, is breaking even your goal? God forbid it. Because when it comes to what really counts our eternal salvation, there is no breaking even. If you are trying to overcome the debt of your sin on your own, you will fail. Because that sin debt cannot be conquered with mankind's plans and efforts. But for the one who trusts in the forgiveness we have through Christ, he pours out the richest blessings of heavenly wealth and the sure hope of eternal life.
May we recognize the truth in David's observation, which we read in our psalm for the day. I have been young and am now old, yet I have not seen the righteous forsaken, nor his children begging bread. Now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you faultless before the presence of his glory with exceeding joy, to God our Savior, who alone is wise, be glory and majesty, dominion and power, both now and forever. Amen. Please rise.